The good people effect is something very special that happens when we surround ourselves with the right people to help us grow. The show is based on three main pillars, which are creativity, adventure, and purposeful living. My intention is to create positive momentum in the direction of real human growth. And I believe by taking a glimpse into the lives and minds of good people through deep conversations, we have the opportunity to open ourselves up to immense growth that can be later injected back into this crazy world. This is more than just another podcast. It's an energy of intentional growth that's been manifested from the beauty of the creative spirit, the call for adventure, and the power of purposeful living. Welcome back to the show. Just before we get into this episode, I quickly want to mention last week's episode with Duncan from Meridian Handpans. Duncan went from being a husky safari guide in the Arctic to crafting some of the world's most incredible steel instruments. So we talk about his journey going through that process and some of the ups and downs of that. Some really, really funny and and interesting stories Duncan shares blew me away. So I know that if you clicked on this episode that you're probably going to get something very special out of that one as well. If you're nerding out on handpans, we also discuss his new pickup system. You know, we talk about amplification and, and the ability to start looping and his mini pans and we get into handpans in a really cool way. So check out that one after this one. But this week's guest is Sylvain Paslier, and I'm so happy. I just feel so grateful and blessed to be connected with such a wonderful soul, such an insightful person. It's it's a he's a human on this planet that really is has some interesting lessons to share when it comes to the world of the handpan and also life in general. So we talk about something that I think is very unique and something that I really haven't heard spoken about in many other places, and that is the simple joy of creating. We talk about the art form of podcasting and self-expression. We dive into a brief history of the handpan. So, you know, you guys are really in for a treat today. So please take a deep breath, sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of the Good People Effect podcast. How's it going? How's life? Talk to me. Good. How are you, Michael? It's nice to connect. It's great to connect. Um, I was just thinking the same thing today. I was like, here's another podcaster that also has a show that's, you know, has the handpan as a key element. And <laughs> it's it was funny when I came across you. I was like, I really need to reach out to this guy and, and just see if we can, I don't know, have a chat. I just feel like it would be interesting. Well, I'm so glad you did um, because it's not very often that we... Uh, take a chance and and reach out to someone completely new and um, you know whenever I've done that in my life the outcomes and the new ideas that I've come out of that have really changed the trajectory of my life so I'm glad that you decided to email me out of the blue I'm glad you persevered because summer was busy and it took me a while to get back to you yeah, yeah, I totally agree with with what you said. I mean, when you when you do kind of take those chances and go into these unknown directions and you just go with how you feel, it usually ends up being something great. So, um, mm-hmm. I'm yeah, I've been really looking forward to this chat today, and I really enjoy your podcast, the Handpan Podcast. It's it's been a delight to listen to. Um, but I just, I guess, I just wanted to, I wanted to interview you for a change because you speak <laughs> to a lot of people, and it's very different. Um, having like when you're as as a podcaster to be interviewed yourself it's 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 a very it just kind of changes things up again so how did this I just wanted to know like how did all this how did all this journey begin and and um, 
can you take me, I know it's a, a difficult question in, in some respect, but can you take me back to the beginning? Sure. And again, uh, just to, I want to reiterate that um, it's extremely kind of you to, to ask me to be on your show. And you're right. It is kind of funny to be on the opposite side of the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, but it's exciting, too, because you're right. When you do a podcast, you don't necessarily get to share your story as much. Um, but, you know, my story um, started in a, in a pretty unremarkable way. And I don't mean that in a, any negative sense, but uh, I'm from France. I was born in France. Uh, my entire family is French. My grandparents, my great-grandparents. You know, there was nothing international in my background. I think I never got on a plane until I was 18. I never traveled as a kid. Um, and in 2011, um, I moved to the United States as an exchange student, and I've lived here um, ever since. And that's been one of the greatest adventures of my life. Um, one of the things that I'm the most proud of. It's been difficult, but um, so much meaning has come out of this experience. Um, so that's a little bit about uh, where I'm from and where I live now. You know, I think something that might help your listeners kind of get a sense for who I am, because when you you know press the play button, you hear a new voice. You don't always know who you're who you're hearing from. Um, you know, long before um, I knew anything about psychology, long before I had a notion of of my my personality or temperament. You know, I think it's later in life that we develop these psychological frameworks that help understand how we see the world and, and how we see ourselves in it. Um, you know, I've always operated emotionally. Um, I'm of a, a melancholic temperament, uh, which means that I tend to experience very strong feelings, very high highs of ecstasy, you know, and very low lows. Um, and, and so that kind of help helps frame, um, who I am and, and what I'm drawn to. I am very sensitive to art and beauty. Um, and one of the things that I, I, I really kind of recognize in retrospect is that I am um, a contrarian. Uh, what this means is I'm, I'm drawn to the unique, to the special, to the extraordinary. And, um, and as you know, you, you mentioned the handpan, and I know you play the handpan as well we're within that realm, right? Um, and so that's played a big a big role in my life. So besides the handpan, where else have you have you been able to find this kind of unique uniqueness in life? You know, I am um, drawn to philosophy and faith. Um, it, I think that this life that we live, um, even though the way that we experience it is ordinary, right? The mundane routine, the daily grind, um, it is still amazing, right? Um, to think that you and I, we were created, we were born without our own permission. <laughs> you know, from the day you get on this earth, um, there's a countdown, not to be, you know, gloomy or anything, but 
it's almost like we arrive too late. By the time we get here, there's already a countdown. Um, and this theme of finitude um, is very prevalent in, in philosophy. Um, you know, so I'm drawn to these really big concepts that have no really tangible answer, but I think they do provide some value for our day-to-day. Um, as I said, you know, I'm drawn to the special, to the unique. And so when, when life gets boring, when you get stuck, I think these bigger questions can um, lead you to um, a, a well-being um, through, you know, primarily thankfulness and, and gratitude. Because even though we didn't choose this life, you know, you didn't choose where you were born, when you were born, uh, the color of your skin, your gender, your social economic background, you do live and you're here. And um, that's all you know. That's all I know. And we can, we can resent it or we can take it as a gift. And so this is where I find meaning in my life as well. Like you mentioned philosophy and faith. And do you feel like going away as an exchange student in any way kind of connected to that, enhance that? It's an incredibly powerful and impactful experience to go study abroad or to go travel. You know, you don't have to live there or to study there. Um, what it does is, I don't know if you've ever, ever heard the image of the fish in water. So the fish is swimming in water. Water is clear, it's invisible. Um, and really the fish has no idea that there's this thing called water all around him. But if you take the fish out of water, it's gasping for air, it, it doesn't know its new environment, and it realizes, looking back, hey, that was water. Um, you know, I think moving abroad or traveling in general um, or opening yourself to new experiences, trying something new for the first time, um, it does that. You look back and you, you realize that what you thought was it, what you thought was uh, maybe a universal truth, it was just water. It was just one thing. And it kind of gives you a new perspective on that. Um, so it truly did that for me. Um, now, you know, the whirlwind of, of, of emotions and, and inspirations and insights that you get from experience uh, traveling or, or moving abroad, at the time, you sort of write it like a wave. You don't interpret that. You don't really make sense of that. Um, but in retrospect, you can find those themes. And I feel like in some way, my first trip abroad... I'm not sure if it would have been the same as an exchange. I mean, I've never been on an exchange, but just traveling anywhere, it, it really opens you up. And I found in my own experience, it opened me up a lot towards what you were, what you were mentioning earlier. You know, mm -hmm. this, this feeling of connection, this feeling of, you know, uh, growth. You're pondering these questions that, you know, even if you not, might not know the answer or the answers might seem uh, like they're a bit of a paradox, then just pondering the question and just kind of thinking in, in that kind of a way opens you up to different ideas and thoughts. But I feel, I feel like travel has, in, in my own journey, has had a real deep responsibility for that, or at least has added to it. Yeah. 
That makes complete sense. Um, did you start traveling early in your life? I was, yeah, I, I started traveling quite young. I went on a few smaller trips and I was lucky enough to, yeah, get some traveling quite early. And I feel like even though I don't really remember a lot of the experiences and I, I, I know that they've kind of had some, they've washed over me in a way and had some mm. kind of residual effect. Yeah, that makes sense because it opens a door to something new. And I think that as much as there is value exploring what is in our own minds and understand who we are individually, um, a lot of the insights that we get on in this life are through books, so someone else's teachings, through, you know, podcasts like yours, uh, you know, asking questions to a new person, getting new insight. Um, traveling, being um, exposed to something new that questions the way you live. And it makes you realize, hey, it is possible to live another way. It is not necessary um, to live the way I have lived. Mm. Um, so these are deep things. Um, and they're incredibly rich. Mm. How do you feel like your your trajectory was changed once you encountered uh, the handpan? Mm. <laughs> okay, how much time do we have? <laughs> um, you know, when I discovered the Hong, and the Hong was the first invention, which later, you know, paved the way for this category of instruments called handpans. Um, but the Hong really you know, in short, was invented in Switzerland uh, by a company named Panart. And it was truly a discrete revolution, which is the name of a documentary that was made about the Hong in 2008. Um, the, the Hong, just to let your listeners know a little bit more, um, although I'm sure they've heard about the handpan before on your show, it's this incredibly remarkable instrument. Why? Because it's intentional. Um, you know, a piano, a guitar um, has all the different notes in the Western scale. They're chromatic instruments. Uh, they're mechanical. They're incredibly intimidating to, to learn. Um, and they're associated with an institutional path, you know, going to music school or conservatory. Um, the, what the Hong offered was creative freedom um, because they didn't even call it a musical instrument. They called it a sound sculpture um, because I think they knew that putting labels on things can deter certain individuals from even believing they can approach this thing. Um, so the reason why this was remarkable is because by default, this was an instrument that bypassed entirely the status or the 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 hierarchy of the music world and it bypassed entirely the fear of doing it wrong you know you approach a piano today you're afraid of doing it wrong with with the hung it's a diatonic instrument it's in only one scale so specific only specific keys of your piano are on that instrument which means that you can't really play a wrong note it all sounds harmonious and beautiful and rich and layered. 
And um, it, it very much aligns with the, this idea that less is more. You have a finite instrument with eight, nine, maybe 10 notes. And out of finitude, you create infinity. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I've often heard you speak about this um, on your show. I think you spoke about it. In a recent episode as well, you were talking about how the simplicity of the pan, it's simple on one hand, but it's you know infinitely complex on the other. And there's so, so many options when you're kind of confined to what you mm -hmm. have. Um, and I do find it's quite, it's quite interesting. I've got a strange attraction to strange instruments or unique instruments or instruments that, you know, just produce a sound that I've never heard before. And I really enjoy, I find a kind of connection with instruments that are easy to learn. I feel like with the handpan, it's, it's really easy to learn, but it, it's obviously difficult to master. And that's something that really attracts me. I feel I feel as though uh, when you're when you're playing this instrument, um, you're you, you're making these beautiful sounds, which in, kind of motivates you to keep going. And it's a, I feel like it would be a great first instrument because I feel like in some way you learn about the art of learning in a way, uh, builds uh, a sense of discipline, I guess, if you're if you're practicing regularly, and it shows you the pattern of learning and. I think that's one of the many, many great things about about the handpan. <laughs> yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's often described as a gateway instrument. Uh, it's allowed countless non-musicians a chance to belong, a chance to create, um, a chance to be a part of making art. And you can't do that with any musical instrument. And you also touched on the art of learning. I think that our world um, has often got the art of learning or teaching wrong because, you know, think about school. Um, you are taught to be competitive. You are taught to, to you know, pass uh, tests you were taught to uh, do it right. Um, you're not really taught to enjoy the process. It's kind of all about the destination. Um, and we all know that we remember very little about what we actually learned in school. But what would be really valuable is to remember and have really assimilated the joy of learning. So in a sense, the handpan, I think especially in the early days of the Hong, it offered um, a way for people to create simply. Um, and, and that, for some of them, for me, it changed my life. Mm. Can you tell me a little bit about how it changed your life and, and kind of like your first encounters with the instrument? Because you've been playing for quite a while now. It's like something like 13, 13 yeah. or 14 years, right? So that's quite a long time and it's much longer than, you know, I've even known that the handpan or the hung existed. Like I only heard about it, um, you know, probably 
four, four years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm super curious to know at such an early stage of the instrument's life, kind of how did you guys cross paths? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting if you use a tool like Google Trends, which is a fascinating tool. Mm. If you just Google Google Trends and type any sort of keyword or search term, um, you can look up the global search interest or local search interest over time for specific um, topics or ideas or, yeah. And so for the handpan or for the hong, you can see that there was literally no interest nor no significant um interest as a trend before the year 2008 and that's when youtube blew up and a few youtube videos got viral and it's kind of helped spread the word about this swiss instrument um but i guess back to your question so um i was incredibly fortunate uh, so privileged to discover the Hong um, in its infancy when it was totally unknown. Um, and it, the handpan is still relatively unknown. But um, I have a cousin um, who is named David Charrier. And he's a very prominent um, handpan player in the global handpan community. Um, and in 2005, um, there was a, a little family reunion organized at my parents' house, and he brought his hung. So that's how I got introduced to the instrument. Um, I had a visceral, um, kind of a, a gut reaction about it. The following night, I, I dreamed of the sound of the hung all night, and the next day I woke up, I was <laughs> totally obsessed. And I haven't had a lot of those kinds of experiences in my life, so I, I knew that... I just had to get one. Um, they were very rare at the time. And so it took me two years to, to be able to, to acquire my Hong. And then really the, the reason why it changed my life, which I know sounds so cliche and so generic, but what it did is it, it empowered me. It made me believe that I could create, um, you know, I've, I've mentioned the terms status, which you, know, you could think the comparison trap, comparing yourself to others. I've mentioned the term fear, you know, the fear of doing it wrong. What the Hong provided me with was a an environment totally free from status because there were no Hong players. I mean, apart from my cousin, I didn't know any other Hong players for a long time. Uh, there were... Uh, there was no community at the time, um, you know, no cool kids and, and the top players and the, you know, there was, there was just none of that. There was no status. And because of the nature of the instrument, which I described, which is very forgiving, very intuitive, the ergonomics are, are they feel very nat, feels very natural to play. It's not awkward at all. Um, it means there was no fear of, of doing it wrong. And so I started creating and I started enjoying the process and, and I developed pleasure from this this new thing that I was able to do, which was to create music. Um, and the thing is, when you do that, when you create, 
and create some more, no matter where what your background is or how good you are at music beforehand or if you're not a musician, you become better, um, you know, magically. Duh. Um, you do something a lot and you become better. And if really what you've invested in was the process, the joy of, of playing, then you're almost unstoppable because... Um, you have that's that's your your secret ingredient that's the 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 weapon that helps you to go the distance right i just wanted to know how like what kind of challenges did you face on this journey with the handpan like if you were to think back um what kind of things did you face that kind of you know might have been roadblocks um since you since you began with the instrument yeah that's an incredibly good question. Um, you know, I just described this really high, high, right? This mountaintop moment yeah. where you get vision and you're so excited. Um, you know, over the years, as I got the chance to travel with my music, to to put out music and to record music, to meet friends across, you know, countries and continents and to make new connections. Um, you know, I think sometimes you can lose your original spark, you know, what got you into it in the first place. Um, so there was a few things like, you know, one of the incredibly exciting experiences that I got to live is I had a couple of viral videos. Um, my cousin David and I played a lot of Hong music together. And, uh, and in 2008 and 2009, we had a, a couple of videos. One of them is, is called Hong Insomniac Jam. Um, I think it has over 4 million views on, on YouTube. Uh, there's a few others. And so now this was fun, right? It's, it's really fun to experience a measure of success. It's exciting. Um, I remember one of these videos uh, got re-shared on Facebook by Ricky Martin. <laughs> Ricky <laughs> Martin? Are you serious? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, not that I'm into his music, but what do you mean you, know, you don't like Ricky Martin? Are you serious? Cup of well, Life? I, I, I'm not familiar with it. I, I told you I'm a contrarian. Is, is the best so I, karaoke song <laughs> in the world. <laughs> Group karaoke. Um, but yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. <laughs> I will listen to it after this conversation. Um, I'm sure it's got to be good. He, good you, you don't get to the top by making bad music. but Yeah, um, so you reach this level of success. Yeah, and so then the thing is, what got you into it was the freedom, the freedom of the joy of playing. You know, the maybe we'll talk about it later, but the the tagline of my podcast is the simple joy of creating. And I hold on to that dearly because when you lose that, when you lose the simple joy of creating and you start worrying about um, what is expected of you, because think about it. You have a video that performs well. Well, hold on now. What, what, what are we going to make the next video about? We needed to perform at least as as well, right? So there's these expectations. Um, there's also, um, you know, a certain sense of, of status. Um, in spite of, of my own approach, I think... In those early years, now it's people have completely forgotten, but I think there are a few people who put me on a pedestal uh, because of this relative success, which 
quite frankly, you know, viral videos, there's no science to it. It's being at the right place at the right time. Um, It's not based on merit, is what I'm saying. But I think you start infusing status and comparison and you alter with that original spark. You know, what what lit you up at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so that leads to... um, being stuck or bored or disappointed and it brings you to this place of of maybe cynicism so how did you reconnect from that place to a simple joy of creating two words rediscover wonder talk to me about that so what got you into this thing at first. It was the beauty, it was the creativity, the freedom. Um, there's there's an attitude of, a con- contemplative attitude towards art and beauty. And maybe here's an image, it might be imperfect, but um, you know, there's a sunrise and a sunset every single day for all of us. Um, I miss most sunrises because I don't wake up early enough, but I try to catch a good amount of sunsets. You can get used to sunsets. Um, and I think that if you apply that same approach to rediscover wonder and, and you you contemplate the beauty of a sunset that, by the way, is, is worth is worth remarking on it because so many people take pictures of sunsets. Like you, you look at a sunset, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's awesome. Uh, but you can disconnect with that. That's an amazing way of putting it. I've never heard, uh, that put so eloquently before. And it, it really does draw, you know, it makes an easy connection in our minds because we can all picture that. So mm-hmm. thank you. That's, that's, I love the way you put that. <laughs> I'm glad it's helpful. Yeah, yeah. Because it is, I mean, it is an important lesson. It's We hear it all the time, thrown around in ways that, you know, like live in the moment, for example, or be present. And sometimes it's very hard to, you know, just remind ourselves, you know, of the beauty around us and just the beauty in everyday life that, you know, has always been there, always will be there. But it's up to us to kind of open up and see that and... it's so interesting how that simple joy, you know, can kind of get lost sometimes. But I I find it, I find it so remarkable that you've been able to recognize that and put effort in and and get it back. And I think that it's, it's also something that we have to share. Um, Yeah. You know, when, when you, here's another sort of quote or illustration that I love. The, The biggest sin in the desert is to find water and not tell anyone about it. Mm. So when you've found something that has been so good to you, um, so transformative, um, you have to share it. And so I think that while rediscovering wonder is a very individual process, um, sharing the simple joy of creating has been also a way to appreciate and, and, and further this, this thing. Um, and we are meant to, sh- we are relational beings. Um, we are meant t- to share um, th- the good things in our lives. And uh, 
you know, I think the handpan has been an incredibly, although amazing art form, it's been an incredibly tense art form and, and dramatic art form. Why? Because from day one, there's been an incredible amount of scarcity. So there were only, there was only one company in the world, PanArt, that produced the Hong between the year 2000 and the year 2009, when the first handpan makers um, arrived. So if you're in, you're really happy. If you're out, you're, you're desperately craving for that thing that, that these people have and that you don't have. Um, you see the tension there? It was, now it's, it's a little better because there are a lot more handpan makers and yeah, it's, um, it's just blown up, hasn't it? It really has, yeah. And it, like you said, it's still in its infancy. You mentioned earlier, but yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's interesting to see, or even to reflect back on that tension and how it's changed over time. I I want to I want to touch on something before we dive a little bit deeper into your podcast. Um, mm-hmm. It's something you mentioned a little bit earlier. I wanted to know how what was the experience like when you first got your hand pan or you got your hands on a hand pan um, and you started playing with your cousin and you guys were like jamming together in the early days. What was that experience like with David? Looking back, it was unbelievably fortunate um, that I had a buddy to play music with, you know, day and night. Um, We had an amazing chemistry, you know, on top of being relatives. Uh, We just had this chemistry, which I've found over the years playing with countless other musicians is rare. It's very rare to find that kind of chemistry. So it's, it's a symbiotic uh, thing and, and it's entrancing, it's enchanting. Um, these were passionate years, right? The, the kind of passion that you will skip breakfast and lunch and dinner to record this <laughs> song, you know? <laughs> That's the best. I hope you're really getting something special out of this conversation with Sylvain. Uh, if you are getting something out of the show, then please consider sharing the good people effect with a friend of yours that may be into the handpan or just is looking for a self-improvement podcast uh, to join us on this journey of conscious growth. But this song I'm about to play for you is from Sylvain's album, Carousel. And um, hopefully I don't butcher the name of it. It's in French. Uh, I think it's Papillon de Nuit. And I Googled it quickly to see what it meant. And it's Night Butterfly. It's my favorite song from his album. And if you Google Night Butterflies or Papi and the Nuits, you'll find some amazing photos. I just feel like adding this song onto the show helps us gain a better understanding on of who Sylvain is and just a little little glimpse into his work and his creation. So enjoy.
So in regards to the podcast, um, how did this come about? Because this was a fairly recent thing, right? Yep. Yeah, so I started the podcast um, roughly a year ago um, in the fall of 2018. Um, I think I did it for for two reasons, and I'm just thinking out loud here. Um, The first one is I'm a podcast junkie. I love podcasting as an art form. Um, also because it's new and nascent and, and, and it's kind of on the edges, right? Um, so I'm drawn to the, the special community that's forming around podcasts. So I knew, I I knew I wanted to do a podcast about anything, but, you know, probably about handpans. Um, the handpan podcast was actually started a couple years prior by my friend, David Gallagher. Shifty! Yeah, who's now a, a, a handpan maker located in Hawaii. There's some nice pans, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. He's doing amazing work. Yeah, my brother got one recently, actually. I can't wait to um, just try it out. Oh, see. that's great. Yeah. I'm so glad. Yeah. So, to, so, yeah, talk to me. Yep. So, he started the podcast. He did it for one year. And, um, and then it was uh, time to transition. So I knew that, um, you know, he owned the, the domain name and, and he had sort of built the, the brand around it. Yeah. Um, I wanted to go a completely different direction, but I still messaged him um, and I asked him, you know, with utmost respect, I'm, you know, what you've done was foundational. I'm thinking about starting a podcast. Is there any chance that that you're you're willing to pass this on and to sort of give it a second life through through me and he said yes in a heartbeat he's just so kind um you know and as you know great guy yeah absolutely and he had moved on to making handpans um so he was on to bigger and and better things um and so that's sort of how you know, I, I picked up the handpan podcast, all mm-hmm. first legacy episodes, all 10 legacy episodes from David are still available, you know, on iTunes and, and, and other places where you There was some nice music. So I think as well as your podcast, I think if people are into podcasts, they should definitely, you know, check out some of the older episodes. You said they're available? Yep. I think they're available on iTunes. I don't think that he had submitted them through Spotify. Um, back then, perhaps Spotify was not into podcasts back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, actually, if people want a snapshot of the culture of, of the handpan community, um, in 2016, I think it's just a beautiful, like, uh, way back machine, a travel back in time to get a sense for where it was at as opposed to where it's out today. Um, and it's definitely a part of the, just a few, uh, pieces of, of super valuable historical, um, content around the handpan. Mm. I think there's there's so many beautiful things about the instrument. Like we've touched on a lot today, and 
I feel like it's a deeply personal instrument and um, the community that's been formed around it because it's just got this this kind of gravitational pull, doesn't it? Because it's just something so different and just kind of connects with you on another level. I feel like it for me, it reconnected me with nature. It got me through hard times and it exposed me to, you know, different people, different ways of thinking, like we mentioned earlier, when you change your vantage point on things through travel and things like this and through the handpan, you really, you really, I don't know, get another perspective on things and you open your mind up to different ways of thinking. And I feel like uh, the handpan is such a beautiful instrument. And just because of that, it, it brings together a really unique set of people, people that really... It's 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 hard not to get along with these people in this community. Like you really need to try hard because they're they're really beautiful people, and everyone's got their own story, as everyone does in life. But within this community, you just feel really warm and welcome from the beginning, and and it's just around music as well, the musical element. And it's not just handpans within the community because there's jam nights and people get together, and I don't know. It's just such a wonderful thing. Um, do you have anything to say more about the community so people might get a better idea of kind of what happens at a handpan gathering? Or yeah. Mm. Well, I'm so glad you, you mentioned, you know, this idea that it's impacted people each individually in their own lives and, mm. and every person has their own story. Um, you know, that's what the handpan podcast is about. It's, it's highlighting, it's telling the story of, of, you know, a handpan friend after another. So each episode is dedicated to one person, to one story. And the cool thing about stories is, you know, um, the three acts, right? There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in all of our stories, you know, and, and I, I listened to a few of, of your episodes and I actually really, really enjoyed the the first episode of your podcast where you explain a little bit of the, the purpose and the motive uh behind starting this project Mm -hmm. you know in your story there's there's an event that deviates your life and Mm -hmm. um and that leads to a transformation and that's what really i'm interested in in this community um i think because the handpan is is fairly niche still it's not very commercial um actually think we live in the golden age of handpans but we can get into that later um, I think it does tend to attract very interesting people. Um, and, and it leads to um, a kind of transformation. Um, and if you, if you pay attention, if you listen to these stories, um, it's oftentimes, uh, oftentimes along the lines of, of healing or maybe uh, opening your heart to being sensitive to the beauty that even you can make, you know, the music that you can make. Um, there are stories of community, obviously, but I think that the handpan is a deeply personal thing. Um, and, and what I mean by that is it's it's a transportable instrument that you can bring with you anywhere. You don't need to plug into an amp. You don't need to coordinate a band practice to play. You can play by yourself um anywhere, anytime. And, and that has led each of these people who do come together at gatherings uh, to 
develop a passion to define their relationship with this instrument. Yeah, it's like almost a style with mm -hmm. the instrument, isn't it? It's like their own their own way. It's their own individual journey. But it's funny how everyone's got their own individual journey that's so unique and special to them. But then it's all kind of connected at the same time. Yeah, and it's it's quite beautiful, right? When when you it's a little bit how it feels to have this conversation with you today. Like we are connected through the handpan. Um, and I think through some umbrella themes as well of creativity and, and entrepreneurship and, um, you know, living with purpose and seeking out adventures. Mm. Um, but these people who, who go to these gatherings, I mean, I was just at a, an event in North Carolina about three weeks ago, put together by Chef D, David Gallagher, and Josh Rivera, who, by the way, just launched his brand new handpan brand. He's making his own handpans under the name Veritas. Really? Yeah. That's so fascinating. I need to write a message and just say, you know, congratulations that he's on this, you know, that's that's so wonderful. He, he's been an amazing, um, he was tuning handpans for quite a long time wasn't he yes and i think he made it out to australia right yeah i met him a, a few times at panos that's the that's the only handpan gathering i've actually gone to and i and i can't wait to go to another one and experience that but that's actually yeah where i first met josh and there's there's a lot of fun having jams with him but it's it makes me smile so yeah. so from ear to ear to hear that he's now making handpans and i can't wait to hear them yeah, they're beautiful instruments. I just played on a number of them, and um, he's just an awesome dude, and uh, I, I know he's going to do very well. But you know, at these mm -hmm. events or through these connections, you meet for the first time or you chat for the first time, but it feels like you've known each other forever. And so that's that's the kind of culture that... Um, Wow, that that's powerful. Like, where else does this happen in the culture? Um, mm -hmm. At least, you know, in the yeah. West, it, it doesn't really happen. We're, culturally speaking, uh, Westerners are not very good at talking to strangers. Um, and so the community, although I think not central to the passion around the henpen, uh, it's been just a wonderful fruit of of this intentional instrument right it's been it's been the outcome not the reason for but the outcome of a brilliant idea uh, an intentional design and just you know all in all something pointing back to beauty and wonder yeah yeah it is such a special thing coming back to your podcast for a second and, and just talking about kind of your journey with that and these amazing stories that are really, you know, you, you do really touch on some interesting points in the stories and you find out, you know, you dive pretty deep and you find out, you know, the core of things and, and you ask some really potent questions in my opinion. Where's where's this all going? And um, what's, what's your idea of kind of, which direction is it heading in at the moment? So I view the handpan podcast as a sound journal of of my own personal connections with folks as i navigate this world around this instrument called the handpan um 
you know, some of the things I, I want to watch out for is to go into autopilot mode, right? So I, I don't want to adhere to a super strict schedule because um, I'm not monetizing this project. Uh, there, there's no advertisers. Uh, you know, I do have some merch on a site, but it's drop shipping. So if people buy it, um, you know, I, I, I think I get $1 per order because if I'm not... You want to keep things natural, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no advertising, no outbound marketing. Uh, it's purely, I guess, my the friends and the network and the community that I've built um, that are tuning in and anyone who's interested in in a possible handpan podcast sort of journeying in the, the ride. Um, what? I think it's a great resource, especially for anyone thinking about getting into the handpan community or people have seen a video and just a little bit curious about what they are. Uh, I mean, we've covered a lot of good stuff today, but I mean, you've got a great blog on your website where people can see, you know, what, um, you know, why they're so expensive, for example, or different scales and find out a little bit more about them. Mm-hmm. And um, you go, you've got the podcast where you speak to cool people and, and you're leaving things na- leaving things in a natural way. I think that's, uh, it gives a little bit of, I don't know what the word is, je ne sais quoi in, in ah, French. I mean, it gives it a little bit of... good French, Michael. <laughs> yeah, that's all I know. It um, gives it just a, a little bit of something special Um that you don't really find a lot in today's world. I mean, um, it's something really unique and I, I think that's a great thing. So, um, yeah, for anyone that's out there that's interested in a handpan at all, you should definitely check out Sylvain's stuff because I, 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 really, I really appreciate that because I know how easy it is to, like you said, you know, lose the love of something when it becomes just, you know, there's, there's some kind of a goal that you're working towards and it just becomes like really repetitive and monotonous and something that you used to love so much or find so much joy in has kind of started to slip away. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I am drawn to the special, to the extraordinary. And so I'm going to do this thing the only way I know how to, the only way I can do it, which is to help people rediscover wonder and, and find the beauty in, in that specific sound model or that other scale. Um, I, even if I tried, I could not, um, try to dumb this down, um, to say, choose option A, B, or C, or turn the handpan into a commodity. I can't do that because um, that's just not who I am. Now, I understand that some people, because we're all so different, some people just want a, a one-click purchase on Amazon, and and right now it's a risky thing to think, uh, risky thing to do with handpans because there aren't a ton of really good, reputable makers on these platforms. Um, but that's the only way I know how to do it. So the content on my website, um, you know, and I, I do partner with uh, a number of just amazing handpan makers. And so you can actually purchase a handpan through my website. Uh, and it's curated and it's meant to be a powerful experience of, of awakening people's senses through, you know, 
hopefully really nice music, really beautiful demo videos, and just poetic language that will make you, uh, that will give you a sense uh, for what it feels like to play that specific instrument. So that's been super meaningful to do that. In regards to, you mentioned earlier as well, the golden age of handpans. We said we're going to dive into that, and I don't want to let that one go. So can you tell me why you th- why you hmm. think that? And I mean, like we discussed earlier, you've, you've um, been in the handpan, I don't know what you want to call it, um, scene, environment for quite a while. And I think your perspective on this would be interesting. So what I mean by that is up till now, and I'm going to just speak in general because sure. there's always exceptions but generally up till now every builder every maker has been in it for the right reasons um, so that's the first the first thing uh, there is no guarantees in making handpans um, it's it takes an incredible amount of time to learn how to tune steel so these guys would would devote several years of their lives before they could even sell you know an instrument um, so I think first they were in for the right reasons. Second, a, a lot of the handpan makers up till now um, were, were doing 100% of the process. And what I mean is today it's easy to buy handpan shells from a third party um, and to, to tune it. Uh, I mean, it's not easy, but it's a, an available resource. Whereas in the early days, and, and really sort of up till now, although that's changing, every handpin builder had to figure out, okay, uh, where am I going to get my steel? Where am I going to do the gas nitriding process? Where am I going to, you know, figure out the layouts of the scales? Uh, which size, which tools, which processes, how long to let it cure it? Um, so there's there's all these variables that all these guys sort of owned. They they all had their own special recipe, their own special ingredient. And I think that's incredibly um, good for for us handpan players because we we benefited from the the diversity um, of all these guys uh, of of all that they made. And as opposed to, you know, maybe in, in 20, 30 years, there may only be a few handpan makers worldwide who, who own, the, you know, the, the majority of the market, um, who mass produce certain aspects or who outsource certain aspects. And so I think what it, what it does is it's a less meaningful and thus less impactful experience it feels like it's almost like a pivotal point at the moment i've just i've just seen videos coming out of china where i think they're being mass produced i'm not i haven't really looked into it to be honest but i i it just feels like that point in time and that um not saying that's wrong or right or anything like that i'm just kind of thinking back to one of the things that really drew me to the handpan in the beginning and that was that it was, you know, crafted by hand, and it was there wasn't uh, it wasn't all about profit, and it was it was more about 
creating something and then for that thing to be kind of passed on someone else and then for that person to be able to find those simple joys that we discussed. So it does seem like it's a pivotal point at the moment. And I guess, yeah, now I better understand why you why you think this is the golden age. And again, like, that's what I say because I am drawn to these... Um, extraordinary connections uh, if if more you know cheap mass produced handpans give more people the opportunity to belong because you know back to the tension that we talked about earlier if handpans are rare if handpans are very expensive then they're not very accessible and you know we know how it feels uh, to be in and and i think to be on the inside, to be insiders. And I think if we think back to where we're, when we were out, when we were outsiders, we wanted in, you know, and I think that um, we have to be afraid, we have to be careful of that self-preservation instinct, you know, making rules that are impossible to follow or standards that are impossible to meet. Mm -hmm. uh, we were once given the chance to belong, to get in. And so we should also extend that chance to others. Yeah, I totally agree. And I feel like there is definitely, you know, something positive to be said about more people being able to have the chance to feel like that and to spread the beauty of the instrument as well. It's, yeah. it's, it's just an interesting topic, isn't it? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, what's... What's on the horizon for you at the moment? Because you've you produced music as well, and I think you you mentioned that you're you recently became self-employed. Yep, it's been over a year now of of being self-employed. Um, it's been such an interesting journey. Um, you know, I think where I am at is I I see the risk of turning this thing a self-employment um, into just another rat race. I mean, you leave mm -hmm. the corporate world because you want more freedom, but you can turn your your company, your business into just another um, trap, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think my goal is to grow my business better, not bigger, Um and so it's to have just a, a selection of handpans that I feel really, really good about, about people I love on my website for folks to check out and purchase if they so choose. Uh, it's to make meaningful podcast episodes that will inspire people and um, invite them uh, to, to belong, to be a part of this thing that's been so special to me. And really, overall, um, just be content with with keeping it small. I have no no intention to 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 turn this into something that I might resent at some point. Um, you know, if you think yes, sounds like you need a lot of focus for what you're doing. You're really trying to keep your finger on the pulse, kind of thing, and and, and try to make sure you're keeping track of the way you're doing things so that you do build things the right way. Yeah. And you know, you talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, um, in entrepreneurship, 
there's this hustle culture. Yeah. And the thing is, you can never get enough of what doesn't fulfill you. And, you know, more money, more visibility, more satisfying projects, that's all good. But if we all look in our own lives, there are a very few essential things that matter a lot. And typically it's the quality of your relationships um, and, and your own well-being. So through quiet time and contemplative practice and and just living in the moment, right? This super cliche phrase. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what growth can be an incredible thing, um, but I think that um, it can also distract us from from the very essential valuable things in our lives yeah i feel like especially in regard this i feel like there's a link between this and like stoic philosophy for example when Mm -hmm. they when they say you know being able to live with a little bit less uh just so that you can appreciate kind of where you're at and so that you know you can can live like that you still will survive and being able to kind of appreciate that you're alive and experience every day to not only to its fullest but just to have an experience you know of being alive every day i think that's such an important thing that when you're inside this hustle it can easily become overlooked when you're always trying to get bigger better get more things or whatever it might be just wherever if your mind's not in this kind of place where you're able to recognize those simple joys those small beauties Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I resonate so strongly with that because I feel like I'm at a very similar point in my journey and I really, uh, I, I'm relaunching the podcast at the moment. I'm actually, this is going to be one of the new episodes. So I'm really excited about, uh, that's why I got so excited before our chat today. <laughs> and I feel, I feel as though I really want to do things right this time. I found, I found my niche, I guess, for lack of a better word, but I found the thing that really, you know, makes me feel good inside and and the most important element of that is actually to be able to be of service and to somehow um help others whatever that might mean to me so i I feel like it is very important to just keep track of where we are and where we're heading and you know it's not easy but it, it definitely it's worthwhile yeah, I mean, I think that's that's awesome that you're you have renewed passion because it is hard, um, especially with podcasting because podcasting is one of these terms that means everything and it means nothing. You know, there are podcasts produced by NPR and and uh, This American Life and super heavily produced um, content with you know, a team of a dozen writers and, and, and engineers and producers. And there's one man podcasts where you do all aspects of the show, especially in a kind of setup where you have interviews and conversations, you know, scheduling those interviews, preparing your questions. Um, it, it can be really draining. Um, and I think through that hustle, we can lose the vision um and it sounds like um 
you know, it's a healthy thing to, to take some breaks. And, you know, in retrospect, I really wish I took the summer off of my podcast, which I sort of did anyways, but I just didn't mm -hmm. make that official uh, because I needed space. I needed space to recharge my own creative battery in order to mm. produce meaningful, you know, episodes. Um, I feel like there's some, there's a sense of, I don't know what it is, but it builds something... Not, I'm not sure if hustle is the right way to put what I'm specifically talking about, but I think when it comes to like discipline, having like a consistency of episodes, I feel like just the practice of that would build something kind of within myself. And I see the podcast as like, I feel like it's a, a very nice investment because through conversations, you really, I don't know, for me anyways, I feel like I'm really doing something that, I love doing and it's it's just like paying the handpan. So I, th I think yeah, I don't know. There's there's like an aspect of discipline and and personal lessons, I guess, that you can really draw from any anything that you do. Like I'm sure there's plenty of lessons within you know, from the, playing the handpan in your journey through that that have correlated to your own life. So, yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Well, I think that you're right. It is so satisfying to create what, right? Whether you create a a podcast episode or you create a song or you take a photograph or you, you know, do a a, a film, you know, videography. Um, I I partly think we're we are made to create. So, um, it, it is a worthy cause, you know even the discipline is a worthy thing to have um, to intentionally hold yourself to a certain schedule or standard. Um, that's a worthy thing. Do you feel like taking the breaks like helps? Like is a kind of like a, not a strategy, but like a way to kind of stop things becoming like more losing passion? So, I've heard you speak about Seth Godin in previous episodes, so I'm going to kind of point to what he says, and that has helped me a lot. So the two questions that Seth Godin asks, or asks you to ask about your own project is, one, what's it for? Two, who's it for? Mm -hmm. So, you know, applied to um, my own podcast, what's it for? this is not work. This is not a monetized, it's not a business venture. My podcast mm -hmm. is a passion project. Mm -hmm. And so if the goal is for it to be meaningful, then I will allow myself to take some, some liberties and to allow myself space to regroup and schedule the conversations that I want to have with the people I want to chat with. Um, now, apply that same question. If it was work, if you were employed to produce a podcast, what's it for? Well, you know, that's, there's an expectation, there's a purpose. And so it changes the strategy entirely. And then obviously who's it for is it's going to tend to be for people who are kind of like us. So, you know, for me, um, I don't care about comparing handpan brands 
I don't care about gathering the latest information about handpans and handpan gatherings. I just want to hear people's stories. So that's what people are going to get through the podcast. And that's not for everybody, right? Some people are not going to resonate with the deep conversations and, and the topics that are explored. Um, but it's because it's specific that it's meaningful. Because if it was general, then anyone could do it. Mm. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. And I think allowing things to happen naturally and to do things in a natural way, it, it really it, it becomes more authentic and it's what it's something that you're creating that's uh, it's for you, but you're also serving other people with that. that it's just like this cup overflowing kind of thought of when everything's overflowing with you and you're doing things for the right reasons and you're aligned with everything and it's happening happening naturally and there's no kind of you're not forcing it. everything feels kind of right. you're doing you're following your intuition with it. I think that overflows and other people, you know, that that really affects other people. And I think that's a great thing. Well, I think you're right. I think humans are very sensitive to authenticity and, and truthfulness, right? Like we've all, most of us have had the experience of walking up to a car dealership and there's a, a car salesman approaching us. And you can tell within the first three seconds of that interaction whether they're genuine or not. So we have this like, you know, Spider-Man like sense. Um, <laughs> we pick up on these things and um, maybe not all of us, maybe some of us are oblivious to it and, and we all have our own biases. Um, but what, yeah, the, the way I look at it is um, that's the only way it can be. Otherwise you will, um, resent yourself for for doing something that's not meaningful for you. Um, like, you know, I'm sure you get just as much from each of your podcast conversations personally as you get from sharing it publicly. There's a lesson there. And like for everyone listening who's not maybe a podcaster, which I'm assuming is most listeners, there's this anticlimactic thing that happens when you've worked on a podcast episode and you've thought so much about it. You've been so inspired doing the editing and, and producing this nice little packaged product and then you publish it. And it's very anticlimactic. It's, it's, it's very not sensational of an experience. It's... It's released, that it's free. Here you go, fly into, you know, like a bird that flies into the, the sky. But there's not this earth-shattering celebratory thing that happens. It's a very unconsequential action at the time. Do you relate with that? I feel like, you, yeah, definitely. I like to have little mini celebrations though. So like after this podcast, I'll probably like do something to celebrate. Oh, that's cool. Is. Yeah, it's just something small. And it's just like, because I haven't actually relaunched the podcast yet, but I'm looking for, um, I don't, wouldn't say looking forward to, but I think it will be a nice moment when the podcast is released and it's like a little mini celebration. Because I feel like those kind of things help, I don't know, 
push that anticlimax in the other direction a little bit because it is it is quite full on sometimes when you just send things into the abyss you know i think that's an excellent idea and and if you're okay with it i'm gonna apply it to my own uh, experience podcasting it's it's very healthy too because you do put a lot of work into you know doing this and uh, so it's it's worth celebrating so I've got another song from Sylvain's album Carousel for you guys. It's called Stranded in Istanbul. Enjoy. I made this made this decision in my life recently and it was it's it's been something that's been troubling me for a while because it was this kind of back and forth between trying to you know 
come up with because I sold all my things and I left on this big journey a couple of years ago and I've been trying to come up with a way to make some money so that I can survive so I can kind of live the life that I want to live and um, I recently was faced with this I found a way to make a lot of money online and but I knew that it wouldn't really fulfill me and I had this podcast on the other end which I'm not sure when I'll be able to kind of have things going to a point where I'm I'm supported but I, I I just feel like it's it's worth doing anyways because I really just want to make some spe- something special and put it out there so I find it very interesting um, but I do believe in not doing something because you need to get something back from it it needs to be like a genuine thing that you really put out there into the world for its own sake um, so I, yeah, I just really resonate what, with what we were talking about in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, there are some economic realities, right, of living in capitalist countries. I mean, you have, you know, food, housing, transportation, utilities, uh, clothes, right? Like we all need those things, and um, money does not grow on trees so we do have to uh, compromise in our ideals but also if you've got this thing inside of you that needs to come out you can try to repress it for a while but ultimately um, it's got to come out and i think that you know the tragedy of, of history sometimes is there are certain books that have become classics which were published after the death of the author and they thought it wasn't good enough and yet the world unanimously recognized the genius of their work. And you know, you kind of wish that you could tell that author during their lifetime, thank you, that was, that impacted me. Um, so it's a grand comparison, and I don't claim to have anywhere the amount of, of um, influence or even goodness to give to the world, but I'm sure you've experienced it too. It's, it's really good to hear from someone that you have blessed them in however small a way that may be that you've impacted their lives. And that is a worthy pursuit, I think worth sacrificing on certain other things in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. <laughs> I just want to say thank you so much for having this chat with me today, Sylvain. Um, I wanted to know, I really wanted to know um, what some of these podcasts were, because you said you're a podcast junkie. And what are you into? What would you say would be some interesting stuff to check out in regards to podcasts or books or anything? Yeah. Okay. So we'll start with podcasts. Um, the one show that got me into podcasting was over 10 years ago. It was probably 14 years ago. It's a show called Stuff You Should Know. Um, it's one That's of the good one. top-ranked podcasts in in podcasts app and quite frankly you know english is is a second language for me and i feel like these guys josh and chuck on this show 
I've learned so many idioms, so many expressions through them. And the beauty of podcasting is if you listen to someone's voice for so many hours, you feel like they're your best friend. You know, you feel like you know them intimately. Uh, so I, I, this podcast stuff you should know is very dear to my heart. Um, you know, there's a few others. Uh, more recently, the Ground Up Show from Matt Diavella. I don't know if I like you've that heard one. that one. Yeah. Yeah. So I like that a lot. Um, 99% Invisible is both uh, totally fascinating to me, but also I can't listen too much because it makes me feel bad about my own podcasts. <laughs> you know, it's the kind of podcast that's still well produced. It could be a, a radio show. I think there's, you know, a big budget and incredible amount of talent in storytelling and crafting um, soundscapes and uh, just a powerful experience. Um, man, if anyone out there has not listened to Serial, just go, go down the season one. And next time you're on an international flight, instead of having your eyes hurt at this low resolution uh, screen in front of you, just close your eyes, listen to like 10 hours of Serial. Um, it's a kind of a true crime podcast and that 10 hour flight will go in the blink of an eye. <laughs> You, you said you were into philosophy earlier. Have you heard of that Philosophize This podcast? No. Tell me about it. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's really well put together. And this guy goes over different philosophies throughout the ages, I guess. And he just speaks. He just speaks about them in a really, a way that's easily digestible, I guess, mm -hmm. in, this, in this world where there's some real crazy things going on and a lot of things are you know, very flashy. This is a very simple podcast and it just gives you a deeper understanding into like philosophy. I really like it. You should check it out. I will. Mm. And what about me. books? Are there any anything you've read recently that um, you've really enjoyed, um, something that stood out? Or is there is there anything that you would give to someone else or is there a particular book that you have given quite a lot? Um, let's see. So what I'm reading right now is a book called The Sacred Enneagram. Um, I don't know if the Enneagram concept has um, popped up in Australia yet. Um, it's Not sure. it's a niche interest, but it's kind of a the way I understand it. It's a, an ancient wisdom around personalities, human personalities, and it helps us to find our true self. Um, and what the best version of ourselves could be. So there's nine types. It, there's a, a diagram called the Enneagram with nine different points. Um, and it's a book that goes into that. Now, the value of this is we interact with people day in and day out. And the reality is we each see the world very differently from one another. And also how we see ourselves in the world is different. So how do we, how do we connect, connect with other people? Um, this book has helped me to better understand my wife and the way she looks at the world and to better empathize with that. that so that's what, great, yeah. what I'm reading right now. And it's going yeah. well. It's, it's a good one. Yeah, it's, I'm, this is one that I'm going to have to reread a few times to sort of really digest. Sounds like um, it, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. 
Cool. Definitely check them out. Uh, well, just wanted to say thanks again for coming on the show, Sylvain. I wanted to know if I'd be able to, and you feel free to say no as well. I, I wanted to know if I'd be able to use a couple of tracks from one of your albums to play during the episode, just so maybe people got a, a deeper understanding of of you through your playing in some weird way. Yes, absolutely. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much. It's been, it's been really cool to have this chat and I think we touched on some amazing things uh, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to throwing it out into the abyss. Yeah, well, thank you, And Michael. celebrating. <laughs> yes. Oh, thank you for that tidbit of, of just lifestyle design. I think that's going to enhance podcasting well, for I've me. Lifestyle designer. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> well, celebrating after you've done something you feel good about, I like yeah. that. Yeah. But yeah, man, thank you for reaching out. I mean, I, I can't emphasize enough how beneficial what you're doing is, um, you know, for the rest of us. Like, I've listened to a couple of your episodes, but I'm I'm really dying to, like, listen to them all because I think there's actually a few guests of yours that I know personally. Really? Um, like who? Well, I think there's a few handpan players and handpan related people. Ah, cool. Um, I've just seen their, their names in the kind of browsing through that list. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been really invigorating um, to, you know, to, to meet you because we, we've never met and um, to have a, a chat. So thank you for being brave enough to, to reach out to a stranger and, and, and orchestrating this. And last but not least, I would be honored to have you on my podcast sometime soon if you're willing. That sounds amazing, and I would love to join you on the show. And yeah, I just feel like giving you a hug now. But uh, <laughs> I'll give you a digital hug, and yes, I'll let you go. But we'll we'll stay in touch. And that sounds like yeah, another chat. Why not? <laughs> That's. I'm very glad we can look forward to our our next conversation. Then, thanks for everything, Michael. I hope you really got something special out of that chat with Sylvain. Uh, we actually continue the conversation as he invited me as a guest on to his podcast, The Handpan Podcast. So I'm going to make that episode available to you guys as well. So be sure to check that one out if you enjoyed this chat. Uh, what else can I say? Head over to goodpeopleeffect.com and there'll be links to everything we've spoken about in, in this conversation. And it's just, I've made the website for you guys. So if you're really into consciously growing, head over to goodpeopleeffect.com and check it out. And please don't forget about Duncan's chat last week. It's it's a, another look into the handpan world from a different angle, a different perspective, and it's also a great conversation. So, yeah, stay tuned for more good stuff to come, and thank you for listening.